0: please visit redemptionokc.com. Man, it was good worship today. I want to invite those of you that are new here and, and maybe new to to church, I want to encourage you with the fact that this stuff sometimes sounds a little weird. I mean, honestly, when you start thinking about singing to a father who sends a son and leaves a spirit and... Uh, Sometimes it can be confusing, even for those of us who have been around for a long time. In fact, a lot of what we believe is a mystery, and so there's a lot of unpacking that needs to do. And we're going to unpack some of that today. We're in a series called The Holy Spirit. And as we, as we oftentimes in Scripture or in church, you hear references to the Spirit, you talk about that. But I'm just convinced that most people have never actually been taught what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. And we believe that God wants you to know him. We believe that God wants to have a relationship with you. Chase did a great job talking about that last week, the fellowship of the spirit, that we are partakers of the divine nature, which means uh, it's kind of a convoluted way of saying that you, have, you, you get connected to the God of the universe. The, the divinity is connected with your humanity in a way that you can personally know God and have a relationship with him have a friendship with him and we want we think he wants you to know him and desires a relationship with you so we're going to take some time talking about the Holy Spirit in this series and you know it's funny when you think about members of your family um, I my is two of my older kids have gone off to college uh, now I have two at home and two away it's funny that any of you maybe you can relate to this, but you just call your kid the wrong name sometimes. Like you get confused and out their way, like I keep calling Jake Luke or something else or Mike. And then, you know, Kate, sometimes I call Becky, which is my older or my younger sister. And sometimes you just get this whole thing confused, but, uh, but it's confusing because that's, we, we know who they are. I, I know my kids, I know Jake, and I know that he's about to turn 16 and he's learning to drive a stick shift right now. And so I, I know him, I have a relationship with him and he has a name. And I know Mike, who's a Baylor at college. I know Luke, who's at St. Andrews. I know Kate, my, my little princess warrior, who's a sixth grader. And so I have a relationship with him, so I know their name. I think God wants the same thing with us, that he wants us to know who he is. And so when we talk about the spirit, it's not just some nebulous force that's out there. It's not just some impersonal idea that's uh, over the universe, but it's a person who's one of the three members of the Trinity and he wants to have a relationship with you. And so we're taking time in this series to kind of unpack that and really hope that you walk away understanding that, that God wants to have a relationship with you, an ongoing, moment by moment, day by day relationship and that God has taken up residence in you as we're gonna look at today. I love a quote that I, that I read this week. It said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshiped. Isn't that good? If if God was so small that I could, in my finite, weak mind, um, pack package Him in a way that I understood everything there was to know about God, then He, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. And the the fact uh, for you and for me is we can we can understand God. He's made Himself known. He's comprehensible to the degree that we can that we can understand Him, but we'll never encapsulate all of who He is. He remains mysterious because He's transcendent. He's eternal, and he's just so much darn bigger than we are that we can't, ever, we can't ever wrap our minds completely around him. So today, as we think about this, we're gonna be talking about the, the work of the Spirit. And here's what I hope happens for you today. I hope that it kind of explodes your mind. Like if I had an emoji, you know which one I'm using, right? Like, I'm, I'm hoping that happens to you today, that God just becomes bigger and that his grace becomes bigger inside your head and maybe to the point that it explodes and you can't contain it all. Uh, that would be a great place for us to end today. Um, but here's what I want you to understand. If you want to feel secure and confident in your faith, you need to understand who the person of the Holy Spirit is and all the promises that God has given you in the Holy Spirit. And that will increase your security and your comfort. Um, but also will just change the way in which you live. So uh, so this way, what we're going to do today is we're going to take five works of the Holy Spirit and we're going to break those down. Each one of those is attached to kind of a theological term that, that comes from the scriptures and we're going to unpack those five terms and just help you understand these are five things the Holy Spirit has done for you if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ. Now, before we can get into those five things, you need to understand that, that these works of the Spirit are unique to New Testament believers. Uh, the Spirit is eternal, but he operated differently in the Old Testament times. And so you have this transition that takes place from the Old Testament, that the Spirit was there, the Spirit functioned, the Spirit acted on behalf of God's people. Uh, but then when Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to do a new thing, and I'm going to send the Spirit in a new way, and the Spirit's going to do something uh, something that's different with those who come after after Jesus, than what he did with those who who come before. Now in the Old Testament, you saw that Jesus, uh, the Spirit was in some believers, but he wasn't in all. It talks about you see Joseph or Joshua or Daniel, and it says that, that the Spirit was in them. You see the Spirit came upon some for strength or power. So you saw that with Saul, you saw it with judges, the judges. Whenever they would act to deliver God's people, that that the Spirit would act on them uh, or come upon them uh, with power, so they could deliver. Um, the Israelites from their enemies. You saw it with the prophets. Uh, you see in the, in the Old Testament, the Spirit filled uh, Bazahel, uh, or Bazalel with a special enablement to build the tabernacle. So when God sent uh, the Israelites and told them that he was going to build a tabernacle, um, he actually sent the Spirit um, and, and gifted or empowered uh, this man to, to orchestrate the building of the tabernacle to make sure it was done right. Uh, the Spirit's work was limited to some people in the Old Testament, um, and, and so it didn't go to all. And His work was limited to certain kinds of ministry, but it did not include things like indwelling, things like baptizing, things like uh, the sealing, convicting, teaching works that we see in the New Testament. Uh, the other thing you see in the Old Testament was that the Spirit's um, coming upon them seemed to be temporary rather than, rather than forever, and so there was a sense in which the Spirit was active and at work in the lives of His people, but something different came after Christ. In fact, that's why we see um, that John 7, 737-39 uh, says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then John comments on that in verse 39 and says, Now this Jesus said about the spirit whom uh, whom those who believed in Jesus were to receive. For as, as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's a there's a sense at that time that Jesus said, look, I'm going to do something through the Spirit that will work like rivers of living water coming through you, but it's not going to happen until I'm glorified. And at that time, the Spirit's going to be sent by Jesus to do something new. So that brings us to the book of Acts. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, the book of Acts is really where the, the Spirit descends upon uh, the, the disciples and begins this ripple work. And so it's kind of a transitional book that talks about this period that takes place when, um, when Jesus has lived, died, been resurrected. At the beginning of Acts, it says that Jesus was lifted up. It's called the Ascension. So he went up and he sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So Jesus was here and then he was gone. And he said in, in, in the Gospels that when I leave, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'll send you another. I'll send you a helper, the Holy Spirit who will be with you. So Acts 1-8, you have uh, this uh, this statement that says simply that God's going to, or that the disciples are to wait and not begin their ministry until the spirit comes upon them. And then they are gonna be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you see this descending of the spirit upon the disciples, and then they're scattered throughout the world to be witnesses to Jesus throughout the whole, uh, the whole earth. Now, in that time, uh, what, we, what we see is that the disciples really were, uh, they believed in Jesus, Um, We know from from other places they understood that Jesus' death paid for their sins. We know, because Peter's about to preach a sermon that Christ was the Messiah that came. They understood what the resurrection meant. And so they had all the information. They were believers in Christ, but they didn't yet have the spirit in a new way. So in a sense, they were kind of the last of the Old Testament believers. And then in Acts 2, so that was Acts 1, Acts 2, the spirit comes down. And he descends upon them and fills them in a unique way. And at the end of that time at Pentecost, um, Peter preaches a sermon. And at the end of that sermon, he says, repent to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's something new that happens. He says, when you come to faith, when you believe, when you trust Jesus and you turn from your ways and go to him, you will, be, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's something new from what had happened previously. And so when, um, from that point on, the Spirit descends upon the Jews, then he descends upon the Samaritans, descends, descends upon other Gentiles. In the book of Acts, you kind of see this transition of this thing that begins with Jesus' disciples begins to ripple out through the world, and they all have the same experience. They receive the Holy Spirit as, they're, um, as they come to faith in Christ. So that's, friends, why we can now talk about five works of the spirit in your life because we have we have inherited come in after that time of acts and after that that descending of the spirit and so now everyone who believes receives the spirit and we're going to talk about the works of the holy spirit in us uh, that take place because we um, when we come to christ so let's start with the first Uh, the first of the five works of the spirit we're going to look at today is called is convicting Uh, the spirit does the work of convicting us of our sin, we see the Holy Spirit initiating people in the, into the Christian life by convicting them of the world and the brokenness of our world. Uh, Jesus taught us this in John 16. He says, "I will send Him the Holy Spirit to you, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment." So Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit was essential to open our eyes to understand the brokenness of the world, and that there is a righteousness and there is a judgment to come. And so He—that's the first thing that the spirit does for us is helps us understand, man, we're not figuring this thing out on our own. That This thing's not going well when it's all up to me and, and helps us understand uh, really our, our need for a savior. The New Testament message over and over is, is, is what? Repent and believe that we're to repent, which means we're to turn from going our own way and we're to turn and trust God's way. And so we're to repent from our own way and trust God's way. And so friends, what this means for us is that Jesus is not just an add-on feature to your life that your life is not running full bore ahead, doing just fine on your own, and you just need to throw a little Jesus on or get a little Jesus app to make things a little bit better at certain times or Jesus take the wheel when you're in trouble or one of those kinds of things. Jesus is not just an add-on feature. Jesus says, no, you need to turn from going your own way and repent and turn to a whole new way. You need an entirely new life. And that's really what brings us to the second work of the Spirit. The first was convicting. The second is regenerating. The spirit is regenerating the work of God that gives new life to the one who believes. Now, if, if we were gonna list the most famous verses in the Bible, if you just start thinking if uh, the most famous verses of the Bible specifically dealing with our salvation, um, what's the first verses that come to mind? John 3.16, John everyone knows it. It's, it says what? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So John 3.16, now, do you know what comes right before that in John 3? No, because the only verse that gets mentioned in football games and in the background of, of the shots is John 3:16. But John 3, you get a little bit earlier if you go John 3, 3, and um, what you see is Jesus talking about being born again. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus. This is encouraging for me because you've got this expert uh, in Judaism that knows everything, and he's asking Jesus questions like, hey, help me understand this. And Jesus is like, are you the teacher of all these people and you don't understand? And I feel that way sometimes too. I bet you do as well, right? Like, you're just like, I, I don't fully understand this. And you see why in a minute. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To which Nicodemus replied, how can I go back in my mother's womb? That's kind of creepy, right? I mean, there's like this awkward interchange where Nicodemus just kind of scratches his head like, well, I know you were trying to explain it to me, but it seemed to get worse, not better, and didn't seem to fully understand. And then Jesus goes on and really clears things up, says, do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born in the spirit. Well, that made things perfectly clear, right? Uh, any of you driving in day feel the wind? dude. I mean, we live in Oklahoma, so we get what this verse means, right? Like, we know what wind is. It's not confusing for us. I'm driving. I can't see it, but as I'm sitting at the traffic light right up here on the way coming in today, the traffic light literally is bouncing like this, and you just got to see the wind. You see the effect of it, and you see everything going on, and you see the trees doing this stuff all over the top, but I don't see the wind that's making that happen, and that's really what Jesus says. You You can hear its sound, but you can't see it. You don't know where it comes from and where it goes, meaning I can't track the trajectory. Now, we've got science now. We can kind of get wind patterns and all this stuff, but Jesus' point is still clear. You can't really harness the wind in the same way that you can something else. He says, so it is with everyone who's born in the Spirit. So what does it mean to be born in the Spirit? Now, when it comes to our salvation, um, we immediately think of, when you think of how, how it is that you're saved, the first thing we tend to think of is what? Jesus death on a cross and it should be that should be where we should start but you know that's not all of what took place in your salvation your understanding is not just the forgiveness of your sins and you trust in God to take care of all the junk in your life uh, there's actually new life that comes and so the Bible tells us that we are born of the spirit and Jesus connects that idea of John 3 16 whoever believes will have eternal life with what he's saying in John 3 3 which is you must be born again you must be born of the spirit which means, if, if you need to be born, that means there was a time when you were not, you were not alive in the same way, right? Now this can be kind of confusing or mysterious for us, but let's look elsewhere in the Bible to clarify what, um, what Jesus is referring to here. Ephesians 2, uh, verses four to five says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved through you've been saved when you were dead in your trespasses right you were dead i mean that's you understand what he's saying there right there was some sense in which you did not have any spiritual life livelihood you were dead because of your sins in your trespasses he says but god being rich in mercy because of his great love for you made you alive you were born in the spirit he regenerated you. That's what we mean by this term regenerated. Now, um, we, in Reformed theology, in kind of one way of looking and understanding this, there's all this conversation that sometimes kind of annoys me because it gets into like parsing up the miracle of our salvation and ordering it in terms of this and happens and then this happens and this happens and this happens. And logically, it all makes sense and I completely understand and, and actually embrace it. But I think when it comes to, what? And so one of the things that, that that theology, theological system is really trying to say is you have to be born again before you can believe. So being regenerated actually comes before faith because um, if you're dead, can you believe anything? No, you can't. Dead, dead people don't do nothing, right? And so there, there's, you have to have life in order to believe but I'm not sure that it's that helpful to actually parse up a miracle and try to put our brains around it all, because I think it's a miracle that just happens. And so to be born again is to believe, and to, be, to believe is to be born again. And these things are really uh, this miraculous thing that God does in us. Now, what is it that they're trying to protect and guard in, in, in delineating those things that way? Because I, I think there's an important point here. What they're really trying to guard in, in, in saying it that way is that we cannot do this to ourselves. Um, can, you, can you can you be born by yourself? Can you make yourself alive if you're dead? No, you can't. And what they're saying is that ultimately our salvation is all of God. Our salvation is all of grace. Our salvation is totally and utterly dependent upon the gift of God of new life and of being born in, uh, by the Spirit in Him. So it's important for us to understand this as well. Uh, now, the most important thing is for us to understand it's all of God and all of grace. Titus 3.5 says this, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what are the grounds or the basis by which God regenerates us? Is it by works? No, he says it's not of works. It's of mercy. So because of God's grace, because of his mercy, He regenerates us. He gives us new life. It's all a gift of his grace. Um, God's own mercy is the thing that drives his regenerating, um, the regenerating work of the spirit in us. Let's look at number three, indwelling. Indwelling is the reality that the Holy Spirit dwells in all Christians, that he takes up residence in us. Romans 8, 9 says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not dwell or does not belong to Christ. So he's saying, if you don't have the spirit, you don't have Christ. That where Christ is found and where faith in Christ is, the spirit will also be. And so Romans makes it really clear that this indwelling takes place at the same time as one's um, conversion to faith. That when we trust Jesus, when we believe him, the spirit comes and dwells in us. Now what does it mean to you that the spirit dwells in you? Well. For one thing, it means that all of your life is sacred. That there's nothing in your life that's not sacred. That all of it is, 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 or that God is, is involved in all of it. And if the Spirit's always with you, not just with you, but in you, it means you can grieve the Spirit, you can resist the Spirit, but you can also yield to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so in this connection that you have, this relationship with the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, there's, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack this in weeks ahead, but there's a, a part of the spiritual life is learning to, um, to be led by the Spirit and to trust the Spirit's work in your own life. 1 Corinthians three sixteen says, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? You are the holy place that the Spirit of God has taken up residence within and makes himself known within, is within you and within me. Now, some claim that the Spirit leave because of certain sins, and it kind of makes logical sense to us the way we tend to think about the world, right? It's like, well, if God's, if, if God's Spirit's gonna dwell in us, he doesn't wanna be, he don't wanna be in the muck of my life, so surely there's something I can do that would make him leave, right? But what we see in John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Friends, it's important for you to know you can't be disindwelled by the Spirit. When the Spirit moves in, He doesn't move out. Remember that the Spirit who lives in you is the same Spirit that in Genesis 1. It said He was hovering over the face of the earth and wandering over the waters. He was there at creation. He's eternal. He's big enough that he hovered over the the entire planet before it was created and took part with the Father and the Son in creation of the world. And it's that same powerful, transcendent, forever being that takes up residence with you. So you, little man, do you think you can kick him out? Like, are you gonna evict him and toss his stuff out on the yard? No. The Spirit can't be, you're not going to evict the Holy Spirit from your life. You're not going to be disindwelled. You're not powerful enough to kick him out. And once the Spirit makes a home, he takes over. And that's a promise that you see in the scriptures. And it's what it, it ought to give us comfort. Our salvation is eternal and our salvation is secure because we are born in the Spirit and we're secured in him. Next work, Baptizing. And the Spirit joins you by baptism to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Drew, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. The baptism of Spirit is what brings us into the body of Christ. So can you be a Christian without being in the body of Christ? No, to, to be a Christian by definition is you've been brought into the body of Christ. How are you brought into the body of Christ? You're baptized with the Spirit. So the baptism, the day you become a Christian, when you, uh, when you put your faith in him and trust him, is the day that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so there's some unity to that. And being baptized means that you're connected to all the other believers in the world, that Christ is the head, and um, the scriptures say, and the rest of us are like little body parts that make up the giant body of Christ in the world. And we're the ones that execute the work of Christ in the world. That means you have something to offer. That, that as Christ works in, uh, on this planet and in this city and around uh, different places in our state, in our country, around the world, he does it through you and through me who have been baptized into his body, which means you've been set apart as those who do his work on the planet and you're connected to one another. So lo- look at the person next to you. Um, just say, you're the body of Christ we're connected it gets awkward right but that's what that's what the Bible says is that somehow the Holy Spirit has brought us all together as one people as one body of Christ that's unified by a spirit empowered to do good works. So and we're gonna have gifts that we need to use to serve his body and we'll talk about that later on do you notice what verse or what word is repeated words are repeated in first in Corinthians twelve, thirteen. There's two words that are repeated. Which ones, which ones are they? You guys, you can't see it, can you? Oh, it's gone. And um, what words are repeated back there? One and another one. Spirit, um, and the one other one. All. So because of the Spirit, there's two, two things that stand out or ought to stand out and catch our attention there. One is all. Um, all means, if you really break down the Greek, all. It means that the Spirit's for everyone. That there's not some people that have the Spirit and some who don't, but the Spirit's for all who are Christians. Um, how many spirits are there? One. There's only one Spirit. That means we all have equal access to the same Spirit. That means there's not superstar Christians and less than Christians. There's not some who have the Spirit and some who don't. Uh, there's not some who are holy enough that the, that the Spirit will come take up residence in them and some, the Spirit's like, yeah, I don't know about that one. That just looks a little mucky for me. Like, that's not the way it works. all receive the Spirit, and all receive the same Spirit. Now, I need to pause, and I'm, I'm going to belabor this just a little bit because um, there's some confusion concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our world. And when uh, what we need to understand is that when we all enter into faith, we, we enter into the, the Pentecost um, kind of... Um, spirit the spirit's coming at pentecost just as we enter into the implications of jesus life death and resurrection um whenever we put our faith in him we we are those who receive the spirit and all of us have the spirit if we're christians and we all have the same spirit but some have wrongly taught that baptism of the spirit is a second event or a second blessing that comes after our salvation experience so in in their view um uh, you know, this can be really confusing to unpack, but I think it's important because there's a lot of misinformation or bad teaching out there. And so I want to take a little time just to make sure that we're clear here. And in their view, uh, it says you may be saved by faith in Christ, and then at later you'd experience the second blessing or second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that would come after. And in that, um, that sometimes it's connected to a second baptism that gives you special power of God in your life. Uh, you see this sometimes in Pentecostal groups. It's evidence a lot of times if you have the second blessing of the Spirit, they say that there's evidence or proof that comes through the speaking of tongues or through being slain in the Spirit or through some kind of, uh, some kind of experience that you have in, in that setting. And uh, these teachings are based on misunderstandings really from the book of Acts and some of the ways in which during that time, things, certain things happen as they would begin to be unpacked. And there's misunderstandings that uh, the that people have taken and said, well, I'm going to take that instance and try to apply it in a certain way today. And it's created all kinds of confusion. Now, nowhere in the Bible, I think it's important to say this, nowhere in the Bible is there a place where you're commanded to be baptized in the spirit in this kind of a way. It says that when you become a Christian, you are baptized in the Spirit. When you become a Christian, you are born again by the Spirit. When you become a Christian, you are indwelled by the Spirit. All Christians have experienced those things. There's not a second one that we're to seek. And so nowhere are we commanded to do that. Now, there's, I think um, it, it's important for us to, or I guess one of the reasons why it's important to say this is if we fail to understand that all believers are baptized in the Spirit, you kind of get two problems that show up. One is you get two different classes of Christians, get Ecclesiastes Christians that have the spirit and Christians that don't, but that goes against everything what's, uh, that you just read in Corinthians. It said, we all are baptized into one spirit and one body, Jew and Greek, and it goes through all these differences. All the different peoples of the earth have the same access to the spirit. There's not one um, superstar Christians and one that are kind of a less than Christians. And then the second one I think is that we're we're robbed of our security in Christ and the grounds to live for Christ. If we think that it's up to us to seek some second greater work, then it's up to our faith and how much we can believe to receive that thing, then uh, it creates this kind of desperation or insecurity in our part to say, well, do I have enough? Can I be enough? Will I receive that or not? And that becomes a hindrance and nowhere do you see the spirit ever taught that way. The spirit is a helper who comes alongside you, who to assist you and to encourage you. And so um, that, that's just a false idea that, that when you hear that thing, you just need to know this is not what the scriptures teach. This is not something that, that we should trust. So what should we believe about baptism of the spirit? Ephesians 4 says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, do you see the unity and the focus of this? What the Spirit does is he doesn't divide us, he brings us together in a unique way to experience, uh, to experience the Lord. So that ought to give us immense comfort and uh, that we've been, uh, we've been convicted We've been regenerated. We've been indwelt by the spirit. We've been baptized by the spirit. And when we're baptized by the spirit, that means we're set apart into the body of Christ. And Christ is not gonna cut his own body off, right? He's not gonna cut his own arm off. Like when you've been brought in his body, you're secure and you can rest in that. And that brings us to the last um, of the works of the spirit we're gonna look at today, which is the sealing, sealing of the spirit. Sealing carries the idea of ownership, its authority; it's a stamp of authenticity. Um, sealing, in a, in a sense, means that God has taken responsibility for your security. He's guaranteeing that the promises which He has made will will come your way by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 1.22 says, um, "The God who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." Um, Second Corinthians five five: He who has prepared for us this very thing, who has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. And um, do you see that word? It gets used again, right? Guarantee. Uh, is, is, it's a promise. It's a, it's a down payment. It's earnest money that says, I'm putting this in you right now as a, as a way to promise and guarantee that I will deliver on all the other promises I, I said I would give you in the future. And so you've received this now as a guarantee and you've been sealed in it to an extent that you can never lose this. Ephesians um Ephesians 1.13 says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when, when does this happen? When you trusted the gospel, when you became a Christian, when at your conversion. So when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel and embraced him and believed in Christ, at that time you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Is that good news for you and me? Yes. That he's sealed you and he says, I will deliver you everything I promise to give you. Uh, you, may, you may have heard this rumor that we're buying a building. Um, <laughs> anyone aware something's going on? Um, kind of excited about that. Uh, one of the first things we had to do was we had to sign a contract. And with that contract, we had to write a $10,000 check that was earnest money that said, we're serious about wanting this property and we're serious about following through to take it. We had a due diligence period. At the end of that due diligence period, we had to write another even bigger check that said, we're all in, we're still going forward, we're gonna do this. Now, here's the difference between what God's doing and what we're doing. Um, Ours is frail people saying, we're gonna put money down and we're gonna do everything we can to make this thing go, get all the way to closing and make this property our own. But we have very little security because they could pull out and there's all kinds of things that could still happen and it would fall short. What Jesus is saying, or what scriptures are saying here is that you've been sealed with a guarantee that's irrevocable, or with a guarantee that's that's, that's given you a down payment of the promises of what God will give you eventually, but he's going to bring all of those promises to fruition one day, and they'll all be fulfilled because of Christ. Um, I think the significance of that word guarantee ought to really settle in upon us. Um, I, I like how one guy said it. He said it's, it's like sending registered mail. You know, when you send registered mail and you go to the post office, it's, uh, it's signed by one person um, who's sending it and then it's gotta be signed by the person that receives it and then it's stamped all across the thing by the government to say no one else can break this seal. And so the only two people that have access to registered mail are the, the, the sender if it gets sent back to them or the person that receives it. No one else is allowed to open that because it's been sealed and there's a promise and a guarantee that does that. Um, that's that's how, how registered mail works. And what this uh, gentleman said, he says, in the case of Christianity, God is the sender, God is the recipient, and God is the one who handled the mail. Um, isn't that good news? Um, he's the only one that can break the seal. He, he's the one that says, I'm going to start this thing. I'm going I'm I'm to promise that it'll get done and I'll seal it. And I'm going to be the one that opens it up on the other end which means that your life is secure in him and no one can interfere it. We sang this earlier, right? Who can come between us and the Lord? No one. There's nothing that can come between us and the Lord. And so when you think about this, it's, um, it, it even goes all the way to the end. Of, uh, to the end. If you look at uh, Ephesians 430, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this is important. I, w- I, wanna, I wanna make sure you catch what he's saying in this verse. The day of redemption is the day when all those promises are fulfilled. When everything that God has promised to do for you and your salvation, the day of redemption is when all that gets, gets fulfilled and all that comes, to be, comes, to, comes true. And so Jesus says, uh, or, or Paul is saying here, that, that the Holy Spirit of God sealed you, not just temporarily, but he sealed you for the day of redemption when all of God's promises come true for you. So there's nothing that's going to get between now and that day, There's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And his spirit is evidence and a guarantee and a down payment of what it is he's going to do. Now, I want to point out one more thing in this verse if you look at it. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That means that uh, because you were sealed for the day of redemption. When he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is that you can actually sin in a way that saddens the Holy Spirit because it doesn't honor God and it doesn't cause you to flourish and it doesn't, it doesn't bless your neighbors. And so you can live in such a way that actually grieves the person of the Holy Spirit in you. But do you want good news? Even when you do that, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. And so even when you sin, even when you grieve the Holy Spirit, even when you, when you break his heart with the way that you've chosen to live, he says, but I still got you. I'm not gonna turn my back on you. I'm still gonna be the one who delivers you all the way, all the way to the day of redemption. I'm not gonna let you go. It saddens me, it sorrows me because it's not what's best for you, it's not what's best for the rest of the world, it's not what honors me. So it saddens me, it grieves me, but I'm still you're still sealed. Because you're sealed not by righteous works of righteousness, which you did, but you're sealed by the Holy Spirit because of the mercy and the love of God. It's all of guidance, all of grace. So, friends, do you feel confident, more confident now knowing what the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, about his work in your life? I hope you do. Um, I hope you have a bigger view of God's grace and God's work in your life. Let me ask you a couple questions and then I want to end with a story. Um, Can you convict yourself of sin? The scripture actually says that we're blinded by the God of this world, by Satan. And we need the spirit to open the eyes of our heart that we can even see anything real. Can you regenerate yourself? Um, You're not going to do any more to birth yourself spiritually than you birthed yourself physically, right? You can't do that on your own. You need the spirit's help. Can you, um, can you indwell yourself with the power of God and the presence of God? No, God has to descend to do that. Can you baptize yourself? I mean, I can't even do that in water. That's just like, you know, that just gets awkward. But, with the spirit you can't baptize yourself into the body of christ in this mystical union that brings all of us one and brings us into this family of god called the church you can't baptize yourself and you can't seal yourself but god can and he has by his holy spirit through the person of jesus and the work of christ on the cross that enabled him through his spirit to do all these things to you is your view of salvation bigger i hope so is your view of God's love and grace for you bigger? I hope so. Let me give one, one story just to kind of give you an example of what this looks like, I think, and how it makes a difference in our lives. Um, I've got a friend in a memory care facility that in many ways is a guy that I've, I've known for a long time and he's just getting up in age and as he's, as he's gotten older in age, um, his mind's just started to go. And so you know the record player can 't find the or the the needle on the record player can 't find the record all the time, so things are just missing, and so he 's gone to live in an assisted living facility because um, it 's not safe for him to drive it 's not safe for him to be alone, and he needs someone to take care of him all the time and so I went to go see this friend this week, and honestly, I got there a little later in the day because we were really busy, and he just he starts to do worse the later in the day it goes and so um, just seemed like one of those days when I was there, honestly, where I thought, I'm not sure we're gonna connect at all. Like we're just, I'm not sure he's, uh, he's cognizant of exactly what's going on. And there's days when he comes and goes, and there's times when it feels like, man, I think he's really check, clicking with me. And there's other times when I think he's not. And this is one of those days where he just seemed to be having more trouble than, than normal. But with this friend, um, when I go, I always ask him to pray. Can I pray for you? And when I do, it's amazing because he always immediately just says, yes, yes, and bows his head. And he closes his eyes and he just stands there. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I began to pray for him. And this day I prayed for him like I always do. But when I said, do you pray? He said, yes. And I, and, and there's just a sense in which I know he knows what's going on in that moment. I can just feel it when, when we're in that, in that instance. And so I began to pray for him and prayed. And, and then whenever I finished praying, I said, amen. And he said, amen, just like he always did, does. And then I stepped back. And when I stepped back, he was still still there in the same position with his eyes closed, still in the praying posture. And then he actually began to pray. And he said, thank you for the Lawrence's. And then he said, keep him, keep him, in, your, uh, keep him in your hands. Keep him in your hands. And so this man that I went to care for is now caring for me. And he's praying, keeping him in his hands. Every three or four seconds, he'd just say the same line. Keep him in your hands. And I knew he was praying for me that the Lord would keep me. The Lord would keep me safe. The Lord would take care of me. The Lord would not let me go. And I just had this overwhelming sense that day where I thought, that's the Holy Spirit. Like in my friend whose brain is all over the place, the Holy Spirit's right there. And he's meeting us in this moment. And he's not left my friend, but he's, he's ministering. He's actually interceding for me through my friend right now. And, and I don't understand how all that, how the, all that works with his his brain, his capacity, and everything um, everything that there is. Friends, I I can't explain to you everything about the Holy Spirit. I can't, we won't exhaust this. this, um, Honestly, we won't even exhaust this in eternity. We will never unpack all of what the Holy Spirit and what God is in the universe. Can I tell you what I am 100% confident of? Uh, My friends in a minimum care facility because It's no longer safe for him to take care of himself and he needs someone, he needs someone to watch him 24 seven. And the Holy Spirit is right there with my friend. And the Holy Spirit's not gonna leave him. And though I can't understand why God sometimes allows things to go uh, in the way that he does, God has promised that he will deliver him. And I'm completely confident that he will. My friend was born of the spirit of God. My friend is indwelled by the Spirit of God. My friend is baptized into the body of Christ. And my friend has been sealed for the day of redemption, which means that down payment, that little little guarantee, that little sense that I had that day of the Holy Spirit is here right now with him, that's just, that's a glimpse of what's to come. That's a a taste of the meal we're gonna celebrate one day. That's that's just a a, a seeing in part what, what one day we'll see in full when God has delivered us. And so my friend, at some point, his brain's gonna completely go and they're gonna, they're gonna put him in the ground. And his spirit will go to be with the Father in heaven immediately and his body will stay there. But there's a day coming when Jesus is gonna descend. He'll make all things new and he'll get a new body. And his brain will be back the way it was supposed to be. And he'll be reunited with the spirit and all things will be made right. That's the day that's coming. So friends, have you been born again? Have you been born in the Spirit? Do you know that same seal in your own life that says, God says, I've got you and I will never let you go. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me, I will not lose one. He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, if you're his, nothing can separate you from from his love. It's not about your smarts. It's not about your good works. It's not about your religious deeds. He saves us because of his mercy. And his mercy never ends. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make this spirit who's so hard for us to wrap our brains around real to us. Father, would you make the truth of your word come to life? Father, anything that uh, is confusing or unhelpful, Father, would you just wipe it away? Would you, uh, would you highlight and, and put in neon lights the, the things that my friends need to know today about you and about your love and about your work through your Holy Spirit in each of our lives? Father, we pray for your glory. Amen.